Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on critiquing your roommate's cooking, reassuring a bride that, yes, she can have a second reception, should you call your friends before coming to town, and what to do when your in-laws' well wishes seem cold. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment about 1922 telephone manners. You can listen to your ad's free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or on your phone you can download the Teachable app. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's good to see you. Good to see you, With too. a smile on your face. I know, I know. I'm having one of those weeks where I'm tired because... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> We've been going, going, going all summer, and it's catching up with me. <laughs> well, you are um, not showing it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I've been trying to do the, the wake-up-early thing all summer and... You know, either go for a walk or go for a run in the morning, been on the bike path a whole lot. One of the things that you've heard me talk about in the office is the issue of saying uh, on your left or on your right when you're passing someone on the bike path or like on, on a path or a trail that people are using. What do you do? What do you, What's your thought? Like well, I run it in the – like when I used to run back in high school when I was a big cross-country guy, I always ran in the woods. You live near a much more crowded bike path than I do. I used to bike there when I lived in Burlington, and I love that bike path, but it is busy. I guess I don't know the courtesy that well. What are you finding no, like, is the convention? No, what would you do when you were biking on the bike path? Would you would you tell I'm on your left when you were approaching someone, or would you just go by them? You know, I think usually I would just go by because yeah. I was on a bike, so it's happening pretty quickly. Yeah. And I didn't have a bike with a bell sort of pass left. I yeah. would, And if there were people coming the other way, I'd kind of slow up for a minute and wait until yeah. it was free enough to really get so by pretty space. easily. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny because I've been going back and forth in my head this summer. I notice I I don't have a positive reaction when people don't shout out on your left. Um, I don't have earbuds in when I'm running, so I can I can hear people, but I also don't hear that well. And so when people are coming up behind me, I often get really startled, especially the the thinner the tire on a bike wheel. I feel like the more stealth it becomes. And 
I noticed a lot of cyclists passing really close on my left Mm -hmm. and not saying anything or just really fast. And both would make me jump and like I would get startled or sometimes if I'd be walking with Benny, he'd get startled. And it just got me thinking, what is appropriate? Because there is a certain just movement to it. And during prime times when there's a lot of people on it, it seems silly to be shouting it every three seconds. I like the bells a lot because I think they're less intrusive and people understand on one side of you something's going to be happening. But it was funny how how much I noticed younger people shouting out on your left or ringing a bell. And I'm not trying to be ageist or like separate people into groups, but this was a trend that I would think of as maybe 10 years older than myself and and maybe up to my parents' age. (laughs) Dan's waving in that category. I noticed they were never saying it. And You know, it just it surprised me. And it was one of those times where I was like, you know, kids, they get a bad rap. And yet I've noticed them being the most polite on the bike path this summer. This old man's learning something as I'm listening to you talk. (laughs) I'm saying myself, I'm sure I used to say something sometimes. Maybe (laughs) if I noticed them. (laughs) You're also making me think. I had a really fun experience this weekend. Pooja and Anisha and I went into Burlington and met John and Cindy Senning, who were in the middle of a long bike ride. Oh, nice. And they were um, biking up in Canada, and they were coming down the bike path from the border. So they'd spent the whole day on that path from the islands up in northern Vermont, and we had lunch in Burlington before Mm -hmm. they got on the ferry and went on to Plattsburgh, where they'll continue their their ride into New York State (laughs) for another about week. Oh, wow. Um, But they are immersed in biking culture. It's one of their favorite <laughs> things to do. They love these long-distance bike rides. And well, we'll I'm going to ask them. John and Cindy Setting yeah, the next I time I see that. them. I would love that. So that's my etiquette question to start off the intro of our show. Shall we get to some listener questions? Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette so that we know you want your post or question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. I swear our first question was not planted by past sponsors of this show, but I am going to use them as a solution. So this is not sponsored content. Not a setup. Not a setup at all. The first question is titled, Variety is the Spice of Life. Hi, awesome etiquette team. I have a conundrum, which I hope you can help with. I currently share cooking with one of my flatmates. This means we alternate cooking on weeknights, which we've been doing for over a year. Unfortunately, my flatmate is not the best cook. Usually this just means rotating the same three recipes or not putting any flavorings on your roast vegetables. Annoying but bearable. However, just the other night, she tried to cook something new and completely undercooked the brown rice. It was practically inedible and is somewhat of a new low for her cooking. Unfortunately, she was out when I was eating, so I didn't get a chance to investigate this. My question is, can I offer cooking advice or tips to my flatmate? I have so far avoided giving unsolicited advice because I know I wouldn't take it that well if the roles were returned. But I really think a couple of pointers would help. And not to toot my own horn, but I'm a pretty good cook myself. Or do I just grin and bear it? I love the convenience of our arrangement, but it's certainly annoying when your dinner is only half cooked. Any sample scripts would be greatly appreciated. Thanks in advance for your help. A foodie's nightmare. Oh, foodie's nightmare. What a great question. I know, right? I, what a great setup. And <laughs> I, I'm picturing so many sort of very similar problems. This could be roommates. This could be a new couple where one person doesn't like the other person's cooking quite as much. <laughs> You're going to have to keep answering the question because I'm just still excited about the idea of the trade-off of three nights a week someone else is cooking dinner. That sounds awesome. It, it, it is a nice arrangement, and I can see wanting to maintain it. Here's some good news. Yeah. I think there is some easy etiquette territory here. Yeah. If we talk about conversation skills and tiers of conversation, that tier one territory that's very safe, immediate shared experience, food, what we're eating, what we like to cook is oftentimes very safe tier one territory. And I think you can just have that conversation without making it a comment on the other person's cooking. I think (laughs) I would start with just enthusiastic general conversation about food food <laughs> and and that provides a real opportunity to talk about things you like to cook ways you like to cook rice things you learned from your mother about cooking rice um well, i like the long game approach here this is good to me that's the easiest totally. place to operate in and I, I would do a staged approach i think you know everyone's gonna mess up Occasionally. Some of us are famous for burning toast every time. Others of us do it once in a while. And if it was that once in a while, I don't think I'd want it pointed out and to be called out on it. Yeah. 
if I'm a regular toast burner, maybe it's not something that is fixable, but it might also be a situation where a different kind of conversation could help you stay away from toast. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, but yeah. I think there's some safe, easy, small fixes that can happen first. I agree. I think there are some avenues that you can go down. If this was like repeated bad cooking, then it's definitely time to speak up. But it sounds like this is the first moment where you're getting something that was really inedible. Everything else maybe hasn't had quite the spice you'd be looking for. But it's just this is the first time that the rice was really something where you're like, wow, yuck. I would wait and see what happens next time. I would see if the rice comes out again under, undercooked and then I would speak up. You also might have a better opportunity if you're both in the house that night and she's doing the cooking, um, you know, and you're there. As it was mentioned, this was eaten at a time when she wasn't even around. So it makes it then hard to comment on the food that you are eating. I was thinking that, you know, if you really wanted to go the side route and get both inventive and just like shake things up, you've been doing this routine for over a year, you could do some kind of a meal prep food delivery service thing. And that, I mean, you've heard us talk in our ads on the show about how much Dan and I have learned from those types of services when we've had them as sponsors on the show. And I do think that can be a really great way to get someone into cooking and also not be the one doing the instruction. You can choose the meals together. You're doing three nights a week, and usually these things come with three meals and a thing, and they're good for two people. So I think that actually could be a really good solution if you don't want to go the confrontation route, which you've mentioned you don't feel that comfortable doing using that golden rule of I don't really think I'd want someone saying this to me. I, that's like a good thing to do, but now you've got to find other avenues. <laughs> Meal right. service is one idea. A, a shared cookbook that's a gift for the kitchen might be another way just to kind of seed the discussion, both provide a resource and a talking point, something that you could get into. I really like that idea. You could even like work your way through it, you know. There are some classics, the joy of cooking, the moosewood. There are some new classics, Otto Alenge, your sister gave me one of his cookbooks that, <laughs> who just found inspirational. Um, I think humor can really help uh, if you want to raise the problem. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say, so guys, give us a sample script. Well, I was thinking there was I a call for sample like, scripts here. Lizzie, we could just ask you now. Let me float the idea. No, I'm just kidding. What, 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 what might you do for humor? Like, we don't quite know how friend, like what the friendship is. I mean, they've been living together for over a year, but it seems like there's not a comfort in maybe critique. So maybe. And, and where can you find the humor? I think you've picked up on something else that's a really good etiquette point in oh, this question, yeah. which is that people receive feedback differently. Mm -hmm. And I see the self-awareness in this question yeah. about that. And it's it's good advice professionally when we're talking about critical feedback. It's good advice personally. Yeah. Know your audience. Some people are more open. Some people are more sensitive. And, and really being aware of that is, is important. If someone is the type of person who could smile and laugh about something. You could say, boy, that rice was something the other night. Did, did you enjoy it as much as I did or something like that? And that's a terrible sample script. I'm not the master you are, but no, with I'm, a smile I'm, I'm, on I'm your so face. I'm happy you're coming up with something because I'm coming up with nothing. <laughs> yeah. I've always had a little trouble with rice myself. Yeah. A, a little um, sympathy as yeah. well as good humor about a mistake in the kitchen, I think – because this is something we all do and it could feel like high stakes, but it doesn't need to feel like high stakes. Yeah. So you, I think you can raise some of these little things in a way that's not high stakes 
and maybe open up the discussion just a little bit. One of the things that's also coming up in my head is the idea that this is a split kind of shared aspect of the home. And it's something that, you know, I'm assuming that the the groceries are bought or there's an exchange of, of contribution, both time, effort, money and supplies and everything. And so there is a little bit of a like, well, if you didn't cook dinner right now, I'm out a meal. You know what I mean? And I would hate to have that as true as it is be the kind of like platform that you try to approach this from. It's a real aspect of the situation, but it's one you might not even have to bring up at all in order to get better cooked rice. I love the idea. I love Dan's idea of getting a cookbook like together, choosing a book that you'd want to work your way through or doing the meal service, but something that just kind of like softly allows these cooking lessons to start happening. I'm feeling that as the comfort zone for this particular one. And you know, me. I usually like addressing things head on. I think this is actually kind of a hard one. I have yeah. a couple of more direct what have you sample got? scripts. What have you got? What have you got? One thought. Okay. Direct and curious. Would you ever be interested in learning a few of my favorite recipes for when it's your turn to cook? I'm so comfortable with that. It's like I wrote it myself. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Dan, high five cuz. That's like the best sample script ever. Will you say it again? Would you ever be interested in learning a few of my favorite recipes for when it's your turn to cook? I would love that. That'd be so awesome because you're so good. I would love to be able to create some of the things you make. And now I'm also realizing you might ask if your flatmate has any favorite recipes herself. Totally. A way to sort of build an exchange into that. Um even more direct. Okay. Would you ever be interested in a few pointers in the kitchen? I would. I would love some help in the kitchen. Thank you. Now we're building a relationship through good etiquette. This is great, Dan. Even more direct, less questioning. But just to sort of have an escalating (laughs) scale of response in the toolbox. (laughs) I'd like to speak with you about our kitchen share when you've got a minute. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, Oh, okay. Okay, so the other night, the rice was just not cooked enough even to eat. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Don't be sorry. Rice is so tough. I've not mastered it yet. I have trouble with rice all the time myself. Would you like a few pointers on how I have learned to do rice over the years? Anything would help. Anything would help. That's obviously best case scenario that they react that way. But I... I want to put that out there because oftentimes we fear someone reacting badly and a lot of times they're going to just simply feel badly that they've made you food that you didn't enjoy eating, like in this particular case. Oh no, did you try the rice and (laughs) realize that it was completely undercooked? I was worried you'd notice that it was crunchy. (laughs) Anyway. This is an interesting question. It is. Sharing food is so important and it's an important part of relationships. As my cousin points out, I'm sure it's not just the cooking that there is a lot of other negotiation that goes on around sharing a kitchen space, sharing groceries, and it sounds like you've got a pretty good thing going. We hope this helps as you approach this potentially tricky area, but also that you're able to find a good solution moving forward. No, Margie, your cake didn't turn out so well. You'll find that your cookbook contains many terms which pertain to cooking alone. It is necessary for you to know what these terms mean before you can interpret recipes properly. Our next question is titled, It's All Good. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I've been a fan since the dinner party download days and have loved being on the journey to see the podcast grow up into what it is today. 
It is such a beacon pointing us all toward the consideration, respect, and honesty that foster warmth and empathy towards others. I really believe the work you do makes the world a better place, and I know it consistently brightens my small part of it. Now, on to my question. I thought I was steeped in wedding etiquette, but of course, recently getting engaged myself, wee! <laughs> I love that so much. Has made me begin to question everything. My fiancé and I have always liked the idea of a small, simple church wedding, but are beginning to wonder if this is even possible. We'd like to get married in our hometown, where we both have family roots. But this only complicates things. On the one hand, we deeply desire everyone who loves us to be there to celebrate with us, but the numbers quickly get overwhelming. A number of people have suggested the idea of a small family wedding with a larger celebration held at a later date. I've heard of this being done in the case of destination weddings, but is it strange if both the small wedding and the later celebration are held in the same town? In addition, if we go this route, what about the many people who still want to host or attend wedding events, engagement parties, wedding showers, etc., in our honor, although many of them would not be official wedding guests? This doesn't seem right to me, but I have many people insisting that they completely understand if we have a small family wedding, but would nevertheless want to celebrate us in this way. It is such an amazing problem to have so many people who love us and want to share our joy, but it's also overwhelming. What do we do? We really want to do the right thing, even if it means calling off all the bets and just accepting that a much larger wedding is an easier route. I know this is a dilemma shared by many happy couples, but any awesome insight you can give would be much appreciated. Keep up the amazing work you do, and thank you for sharing it with all of us in awesome etiquette land. Best overly beloved bride. <laughs> that is a wonderful problem to have. Delightful. A delightful problem to have. I say yes to everything except for any of the shame parts. <laughs> That's it. It's that you absolutely can have a small wedding and then do the big follow-up party in the same town, even though this like it doesn't have to be a destination wedding for that to be what goes on. Um, this happens all the time. You can also, if people understand that this is the structure and this is what you're doing, they are absolutely able, willing, happy to do parties for you, you may accept those parties. You may say, yes, I would love to have a shower if you want to host a shower. We see that happen uh, with offices. A lot of the times office mates aren't invited to weddings, but they really want to celebrate a couple, especially if they met at work. So this is really, really common. What The, the key factors are that you're letting people know what it is that you're going to do, a small private ceremony and reception followed by a bigger belated second reception really is what it would be called to accommodate everyone that's more casual. And they understand and they still want to celebrate. That's fantastic. I'm curious to hear this answer because there was a, a little part of my mind that mm -hmm. was sort of similar to our beloved bride wondering, is it really okay to, to invite someone to a shower if they're not invited to the ceremony? And I like your example of the office shower, that there, mm -hmm. there are ways to do this that are appropriate. Yeah. And it really has to do in, in many ways with where that inspiration is coming from. If these other people are wanting to do yeah. it, if it's not you necessarily pushing it. 
Oh no, it it, like need absolutely to be... not even necessarily. Like you don't have to tiptoe around any of that. Straight up, you as the bride cannot push for this at all, and you are not pushing for this at all. This is one hundred percent the guests who already know they are not invited have to come up with this idea and choose to do it and select a group of guests to invite who would feel comfortable being invited under these circumstances. I mean, there is no like soft gray. Let me nudge people just in case other brides out there might be thinking this is a good idea or way to do more party stuff. No, that's not it. This really has to come from those guests who are already aware of the circumstances. So then the etiquette role shifts. The shoe goes on the other foot and you say it's my job now to be a gracious guest. You got it, Dan. You got it. (laughs) I like it. Thank you for the clarity on that because as I was reading this question, I started to wonder myself a little bit and I, I appreciate that clarity. I think the one that gets a little fuzzy for me is the engagement party because some folks would be invited to the ceremony and the reception that are the small ceremony and reception. Some folks are invited to just that big belated reception. And I think it can get a little complicated in the engagement time if that all hasn't been decided yet. Um, and that can be a really a really tough thing. It's why we often say keep your engagement parties very, very small and to people that you would only know would be invited to the most intimate of your your gatherings. Sounds good. I, I want to throw my hat in the ring also for keep that bigger uh, potential ceremony option alive in well, your mind. That's a good point. There, there good are point. ways to manage it. It can feel daunting. It can feel like it would be too much either in terms of of, of time and effort, but also in terms of expense. And I know those things can start to balloon very quickly. Yes. <laughs> and I also think there are rewards to be reaped. So just l- l- let that voice be in your ear also. Th- th- there is a- a- an, <laughs> an enthusiastic and joyful wedding with everybody there all at the same time in one shot. <laughs> I heard so much of myself in this question. I remember... But they're going to get everything with this version, this other version. They're going to get like the whole celebration and the big party. Absolutely. Some of my closest family have gone this route. My yeah. parents went this route. Yeah. My cousin Tommy Senning recently <laughs> went this route. Yeah. And... I, I love that version of a wedding also. I guess the part of me that was saying I sympathize and start to feel like our overly beloved bride is that I always had a, a vision of myself getting married in the small church mm-hmm. in the town I grew up in. And when it came time to actually start planning the wedding, it became pretty clear that wasn't going to be possible. Mm-hmm. And we started to have to shift and do different things. And I also found myself in this place of thought, thinking I knew how to manage and plan a wedding and all of a sudden faced with the practicalities of it. It's a lot. Saying, boy, this is a lot. There are a lot of moving parts to this. And I leaned on the folks at Emily Post for a lot of help when that moment came up. So I appreciate all of the thinking that's going on behind this question. I just want to say I think it's okay to keep that other option in mind. Let yourself play with it a little bit and see how it feels as well. Overly beloved bride, no matter what, we know you will have a very happy day. Congratulations. Our next question is about who is right? Dear Dan and Lizzie, my boyfriend and his friends and me and my friends have a disagreement. 
He claims that my friends are extra and that the norms of his friends are, well, normal and what everyone does. We think that extra means that we are outside the norm and that what his friends are doing are normal and what everyone does. This is the situation. When his friends visit from another city, requiring a plane ride, they never bother to inform anyone until they arrive. This includes informing the friends with whom they are planning to stay. To me and my friends, that shows that they didn't care if they got to see those friends or not, that they weren't a priority on the visit. My friends and I usually inform folks in a town we are visiting when we find out we are visiting so that they can try to make time in their schedules to see us, or at least try to be in town when we are. I think not informing your friends ahead of time causes unneeded stress to them, especially since it's very frustrating to know someone is so close and yet have previous engagements, which you can't break in order to see them. He's asked around his friends, and they don't understand why you'd tell someone ahead of time, and they think it's bizarre that we do. Your opinion on it would be much appreciated. Thanks. Love the podcast. Yours sincerely, Gina. I this cracked me up just because we almost never do like tiebreaker who's right who's wrong type things, but I felt like this one needed it. Like, so who's I felt right? The calling man. Yes, you call beforehand, but here's the thing: among certain groups of friends. If this is the kind of thing, like, I know I often don't call people when I'm headed into town on a business trip. Now, I'm not planning on staying with them. I Big have difference. a Yeah, it's a huge difference here. I have a backup plan in my head, but I'll often say, hey, I'm in New York. Are you free? And I'll send that out to, like, five people, and whoever gets back to you first, you know, you just, that's it. That's how you <laughs> make it work. But what I don't do is jump into town and call people up expecting to stay there. And maybe these guys feel secure that they have, like, a backup plan for a hotel or something so they just really that's why they feel absolutely no shame no concern no worry about it but I agree with Gina that at least like calling and letting someone know that you're coming to town affords the chance for them to rearrange their schedule or let you know that they can't just some form of communication is considerate hands down there's just no question Gina is right about this I love that Gina's right 99.9% of the time. You've carved that out in. that 0.1%. For a friend group who chooses to behave this way. <laughs> and if you're not counting on them and da 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 all yes. those conditions being met, I agree 100%. I was this bad no, you friend. you agree 99.9% because you were this special friend. <laughs> I was. And I got a talking to from one of my absolute best friends. You did not. I did. Who did it? Jordy. <gasps> And I appreciate it so much. Jordy is quietly one of the most he, – he's a very good college friend of mine and um, is one of the most sort of in some surprising ways well-mannered people I've ever met. Very gentle gentleman. Absolutely. And he explained to me that it wasn't – I wasn't imposing on him. I wasn't counting on staying with him. But he was able to communicate to me that he cared about seeing me and he's busy enough – that it's not easy if he doesn't have advance warning. And if I would just pick up the phone and let him know a couple weeks ahead that I'm coming, it would be easier for us to hang out. And and he would want that, that that is a goal. <laughs> it was like a scolding that made me feel good and appreciated. <laughs> and great. so, again, really good etiquette. Um, thank you, Jordy. Much appreciated. And I was thinking about you as I was reading this question because I know I've been bad. And Gina, we want to finish by acknowledging you are right. So the question is, why doesn't he grow up? 
why does he still behave as a child? How can we help him get rid of these leftovers from childish behavior? Our next question is titled Birthday Blues, and it is a blue one. Here's a question. My mother-in-law hands me a birthday card or an anniversary card every year to say happy birthday or happy anniversary. I've been married to her son for 40 years. No gifts, and we live in the same small town. Several other members in the family have got to where they are doing this same thing as well. They stop by to drop off a birthday card or a wedding anniversary card. That's it. She doesn't stay or even want to visit over coffee. Once the card is handed over, I feel it is as if the duty is done and she is off the hook for anything else. When it comes to her birthday, we usually take her out to dinner or prepare a family meal here at home, and we give her a card along with some flowers or a fresh plant. She's 89 years old. It's hard to buy for her anymore, but she's pretty active and still drives and lives alone, so she's capable. When our children, grown, have birthdays, it's dinner and a card and maybe a fun gift or a nice gift card. To me, a birthday card being mailed to a friend or family member is appropriate for someone living out of town. If you are close family, then a card and a gift is appropriate or just an inexpensive gift card inside a birthday card whether you live close or far away. If money is tight, then baking a cake or cookies or just a small gift is better than this distant, cold expression of congratulations. This is not a poor family. They are West Texas ranchers. I am not originally from West Texas, and I came from a poor family, but we always did more than just buy a card for our family members. Just something I'd like etiquette clarification on. Do I need to send a thank you card for the birthday card? Valerie. Valerie, no, you do not need to send a thank you card for the birthday card. But this is a little bit why we titled it Birthday Blues. It's unfortunate that your in-laws don't celebrate birthdays the same way that you do or in the same way that you appreciate being celebrated on a birthday or an anniversary. Um, it's certainly something you could talk with your spouse about since this is it sounds like this is mostly um, your spouse's relatives. But I think that beyond at least giving the hint that you'd appreciate something different, it's very hard if people are not willing to give a gift or take you out to dinner to ask for them to. And it's one of those places where I find in my life, at least, where when I'm sad that people aren't doing the things I would like them to do for me and I'm not experiencing the relationship that I want to experience with them, that I have to stop expecting that relationship from them in that way. And I think that this is one of those times where I would stop expecting for it to be different and hoping or thinking it should be different. Um, There is nothing that says as we become older, this is how birthdays have to be handled. There's even nothing that says birthdays have to be handled a certain way for children. And so it really does come down to kind of family norms and the standards that you set and create in your own life. So my encouragement to you is to celebrate other people the way you feel comfortable celebrating them. So if that means giving a gift, give a gift. If that means giving a card or making a phone call, do those things. But I would also say appreciate the relationships where you can find that. Maybe it is that one friend who does bake a cake for you or that one friend who does always send something nice. And if they aren't in your world, I I would suggest increasing the social circle and really try to branch out and find people who are more like-minded as you are in this vein. And not just like you're going out and searching for birthday friends, okay? But, I mean, it's just, to me, I'm hearing someone who's sad that people in her life don't 
don't treat her the way she would like to be treated. And it's very hard to get other people to change, but I have found in my own life that when I start opening up and meeting new people, that I often start meeting people who do like to behave and have the type of relationships that I want to have. So I'm, I'm sorry to not have an immediate sample script for the family, but I do think that at least it, it kind of opens it up to other ways of looking at the situation. What I, do you think, Dan? I like that approach. I think that you can talk to the people you're close enough to about this disappointment, about how it makes you feel, that it, it's really not even the act because sometimes a card can be a really nice gesture. But something about the way it's delivered is is making it feel like it's coming up short. And I, I think sort of fleshing out that in terms of – not as an accusation, but in terms of how it makes you feel. It's one of the things we do on this podcast. Yeah. And I think it's it's worthwhile, particularly those people you're really close to. It's going to give people like your husband of 40 years a better understanding of, of how you operate and what would make you feel really good. And I'm sure that those people in your life who will want you to feel good are going to be able to take those cues and follow your lead. Um, I also like the idea of of accepting what you get from people, but also being willing to broaden and branch out and and look for what it is that you need in new places as well. The final thing I'll mention was that there was the suggestion that even if you don't have money to buy anything, you could bake something. And the one thing that we do like to remind folks of is that sometimes even that can be a finance or, or stress. And so if there really isn't anything, some heartfelt words are a really great way to go. And those really are always free. So we hope that that helps, and we hope that you are going to have happier birthdays in the future. It was Pete's mother. I tried to tell Pete how I felt, but it was no use. He'd just get sore and make some crack about my family. I thought my family was pretty wonderful. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member somewhere in your question. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our first piece of feedback is in response to episode 210, where uh, we had the the groom's friend texting everyone w- coming to the wedding with a list of sign-up things like pick up the food from the caterers, act as the server for the bartender, help p- pick up after the wedding. Um, and we discussed whether or not it was appropriate to ask people to pitch in for a wedding. Allison writes, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This letter struck a chord with me because while I'm aware that in some families, social circles, and communities, weddings are a big communal effort and lots of friends and family members pitch in, I haven't been to many weddings where that was the case. I would definitely feel put off being expected to help out with a wedding if such a request wasn't made on the invitation, i.e., this is an all-hands-on-deck wedding in lieu of gifts. We ask that guests volunteer their time before, during, or after the wedding. Please go to our wedding website and sign up for a task to make help to help make this wedding a success. <laughs> That's actually very good language. Like, I, I really like what Allison's paint the pictures she's painting here. 
If I was in the letter writer's shoes and received notice of a sign-up sheet, I may respond to the person who sent it to me or a member of the wedding party if I felt comfortable doing so and ask, hey, I'm a little unclear on the expectations here. Are you looking for some volunteers or do you need everyone to help out? I'd like to think that they'd likely respond, oh, no worries. We're hoping for some extra hands, but there's no pressure. We understand you're traveling from far away. Either way, at least you'd know rather than jump to the conclusion that they're making everyone help out at the last minute. Allison, first of all, Allison needs to get hired as a sample Great script writer for us. Like, on both sides of that equation. Please write in more often, Allison. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, but I, this, I, we probably did not spend enough time on the like, yeah, this is not typical behavior for a wedding. I like that Allison talks about the fact that in some families and social circles, this is the norm. And if she had received an invitation that indicated some form of pitching in, or maybe even if the request was lighter, like a if people people can this or we are looking for someone to do this particular task. That would be great. But I agree that the asks that were being asked and the way that they were asked in episode 211 were not not good etiquette. <laughs> well, I also like the spirit of the, the the willingness to inquire so you don't assume the worst of someone. Yes. And you sort of imagine them responding with their best. And I I liked that particular tack to this piece of feedback as well. Thank you very much, Allison. Our next piece of feedback begins, Good evening, Lizzie and Dan. I am a longtime listener and love how your podcast makes me pause before responding to other people in an effort to make sure my responses are kind, thoughtful, considerate, and honest. I had one tiny bit of feedback regarding episode 198 and the woman whose mother was getting married for the second time and does not want gifts. I love your idea of creating a gift of family dinners or a family trip. One additional option for her and others who wish to contribute is to purchase a family photography session a few months after the wedding. Large family photograph sessions can be expensive, and it would be likely heartwarming for her and her new husband to have those portraits of the newly combined family together. Anyhow, just an idea I had when I heard her conundrum. Thank you for all that you do, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. It's a great idea. It's a really nice idea. And if you can't afford a big photography session, you could see if a friend who's particularly well adept at taking photos or getting them printed nicely um, would be willing to do that for you. Just making the effort to get everyone together is really the almost the most work in a situation like that. Exactly. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or please leave us a voicemail or text. I love hearing your voices and text messages. Well, seeing your text messages at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript it's about the telephone, but not the cell phone, not the smartphone. This is about the telephone from the 1922 edition of Etiquette. It is. And this, so I flipping through the book of Etiquette while sitting on the couch one night, I came across this little section and it struck me as so strange when I was reading it. And it finally dawned on me that the reason it felt so strange was because I was envisioning how I grew up using a household telephone which is that someone calls and then you go find the person who the call is for and they often spend quite a bit of time on that phone call, sometimes if it's my mom and one of her best friends, hours! Um, and this 
style of telephone invitation that Emily is addressing is almost like the telephone and operator being used much more like an answering service. And so the host would issue the invitation through the operator, and it wasn't always the actual guests being invited who would receive that invitation. Sometimes it would be the household staff or one of the family members who then would leave the phone where it is, walk to go find the person, deliver the message, get the answer, bring it back to the operator who would then convey to the hostess whether or not this person could come to the party. This is a game of telephone. Like, this is supposed to be modern technology making things easier? It was so funny. So I thought that this would be a a fun little dive into old school technology and invitations by old school tech. I must admit that in the very first sentence of this reading, there is a a new word to learn. It will be the word of the week on awesome etiquette. The invitation by telephone. Custom which has altered many ways and manners has taken away all opprobrium from the message by telephone. And with the exception of those of a very small minority of letter-loving hostesses, all informal invitations are sent and answered by telephone. Such messages, however, follow a prescribed form. Emily quotes, Is this Lennox 000? Will you please ask Mr. and Mrs. Smith if they will dine with Mrs. Grantham Jones next Tuesday the 10th at 8 o'clock? Mrs. Jones's telephone number is Plaza 12-Ring-2, end quote. The answer, quote, Mr. and Mrs. Huntington Smith regret that they will be unable to dine with Mrs. Jones on Tuesday the 10th as they are engaged for that evening. Or, will you please tell Mrs. Jones that Mr. and Mrs. Huntington-Smith are very sorry that they will be unable to dine with her next Tuesday and thank her for asking them? Or, please tell Mrs. Jones that Mr. and Mrs. Huntington-Smith will dine with her on Tuesday the 10th with pleasure. The formula is the same whether the invitation is to dine or lunch or play bridge or tennis or golf or motor or go on a picnic. Will Mrs. Smith play bridge with Mrs. Grantham Jones this afternoon at the country club at four o'clock? Hold the wire, please. Mrs. Jones will play bridge with pleasure at four o'clock. In many houses, especially where there are several grown sons or daughters, a blank form is kept in the pantry. This is like telephone messaging mad libs almost. Will blank blank with M, there's our M from the reply card, blank, on blank, the blank, at blank o'clock, blank telephone number, and then you have accept or regret, and you're supposed to circle or check next to either accept or regret, so it's a little form that you just put right by the phone. Ready? These slips are then taken to whichever member of the family has been invited, who crosses off regret or accept, and hands the slip back for transmission by the butler, the parlor maid, or whoever is on duty in the pantry. If Mr. Smith and Mrs. Jones are themselves telephoning, there is no long conversation, but merely, Mrs. Jones might say, Is that you, Mrs. Smith, or Sarah? This is Mrs. Jones, or Alice. Will you and your husband, or John, dine with us tomorrow at 8 o'clock? Mrs. Smith, 
I am so sorry. We can't. We are dining with Mabel. Or we have people coming here. I like how that is also an acceptable response, and it's so simplified compared to the others. Invitations to a house party are often as not telephoned. Hello, Ethel. This is Alice. Will you and off? <clears throat> Hello, Ethel. This is Alice. Will you and Arthur come on the sixteenth for over Sunday? That means stay the weekend. Just so you know, the sixteenth. That's Friday. We'd love to. Will you take the three twenty train, etc.? And the conversation carries on. But that I just when I think about what we talk about in terms of telephone manners, and this is the only thing I can find in the nineteen twenty. To edition of telephone manners. There isn't like a just simple when you're calling someone to say hello. You didn't really do that as much back then. I am transported back in time. Isn't it a trip? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's funny that you mentioned the hello because I'm aware and I would I would need to do some research. I'm actually looking forward to a compilation of the editions of etiquette that I'm I'm hoping we'll get our hands on at some point in the future where we could do a search like this mm-hmm. that Emily introduced the casual greeting hello as an appropriate way to address someone on the telephone in a later edition of etiquette and that it was then moved from the the world of casual telephone conversation into the world of in-person interaction. That was sort of the advent of hello as a greeting. (laughs) But this is clearly before that. I know. It's this whole idea of like messages and talking through the operator or through the person who just happens to pick up on the other line. It reminds me of that moment in Downton Abbey where uh, the butler is is like trying to, they just get the telephone and he's trying to practice how to answer it and what kinds of things he might have to respond to. And this is exactly that. It's fascinating. And at the same time, there are vestiges of this. What fascinates me is that the general idea of the message, who's calling to ask about what, has never changed in almost a century. We have retained some of the practicality that is lost in some of the detail here, but the heart of that good etiquette really does remain the same. Great find. Thank you for sharing this with us, Cousin Lizzie Post. We like people who are polite. We should always try to be thoughtful. When we talk on the telephone, we should be kind and considerate. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from Maya. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I wanted to write in with an etiquette salute today for my new neighbors. About four months ago, my young family, my husband, and our two kids under two moved away from our 700-square-foot apartment in Brooklyn, New York, to a 3,700-square-foot home in a smaller state on the East Coast. Huge change and adjustment for us, especially for me, who anticipated urban living for my life's entirety. No sooner had we moved in when our neighbors across the street came over with a warm smile and a welcome plate of cookies, a big hit with my two-year-old son. In just the short time we have been here, they have become our guides and gurus in home ownership and suburban living. Their three daughters, all in their 20s, and who live at home, drop by during the week to visit with me and our two kids and babysit for us on the occasional evening. They've invited us for multiple casual barbecues and dips in their pool. They've offered us recommendations for workmen when we've needed projects completed around our new house. They have helped us in so many ways, even picking us up from the airport in our car one evening so we didn't have to lug our car seats cross-country to visit my family. 
They have done so much more than just made us feel welcome in this new landscape and chapter in our lives. They are beginning to become a family for us when our own families are so far away. Such a needed and welcome support for us and our kids. We so appreciate how they have reached out and opened their arms to us joining the neighborhood. Without their compassion and unending kindness, this transition would have been far more stressful and isolating. Thanks, Steve and Evelyn. We feel so lucky to have such amazing neighbors like you, Maya. Steve and Evelyn, I am so jealous. You sound like exactly the kind of people that make a neighborhood feel like a neighborhood in the best sense of that word. And Maya, thank you for sharing this incredible salute with all of us. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can reach us at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can leave us a text or a voicemail message, and you can practice your 1922 etiquette at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can do this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you love the show, try leaving us a review. It really helps. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.